Hello and welcome to another episode of the House of Hooky Built podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Frank. It's been about a month since uh, since I've done a pod. Took some time off to gear up for the regular season, but I'm recording this on a Tuesday, which means there are two games this evening, but the Sixers don't kick off until tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern against the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, I am joined by Adam Aronson of the Rice of Ricky Sanchez podcast. Uh, Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jackson. How are you? I'm doing uh, pretty well. We have, you know... When we planned to do this podcast, we thought it mostly would just be kind of talk about some preseason takeaways and you know maybe talk about some of the Ben Simmons stuff and you know kind of our ideal rotations and all that. But uh, Ben was scheduled to speak with reporters for the first time since uh, his post game his post game seven presser. Um, but Ben was not able to speak with reporters on Tuesday because Ben was <laughs> Ben did not finish practice. Uh, he was reportedly. Asked to leave by Doc Rivers. Doc spoke with uh, the media today, and it didn't. He didn't make it seem like Ben had some, you know, big, you know, didn't, it didn't like he made a big scene or thing, but just that he didn't really seem interested in being there. And so Doc advised, I think is maybe the language to use that that he leave. Uh, maybe not advise a little stronger than that, but um, you know, this is Ben's third practice, I believe. They practiced. They took Saturday off after playing Friday, and then Ben returned Sunday. Um, and then they practiced yesterday on Monday. And then today they um, saw some film yesterday where Ben didn't look particularly engaged either, but you never know if that was, you know, concerted effort with media there. Um, but then we also got some comments from Joel uh, um, after Joel's already had some pretty pointed comments, you know, so I just like, what's, what's your take on this situation? How do you feel about it? Like, I mean, because this is, I don't know if it's like a huge deal, but I mean, it's kind of another, after things maybe progressing a little more encouraging in terms of, you know, things for everyone involved, I guess, in terms of banging it back on the court and all that, this was a definitely a step in the other direction. So where, where are you at? What did you think of this situation? How do you make, you know, some of the news that's come out, some of the comments from doc and, and Joel and, and all that. Yeah. I mean, obviously this is pretty bad. Uh, the, the, the part that's particularly worrisome for me, and I just wrote it at the Rights to Ricky Sanchez website, some predictions I have for the season. And one of them was that Ben actually makes it through the year without being traded. Obviously, I wish I could now go back a few hours and edit that. Um, but it's just a, it's a really hard spot that they're in right now because they're trying to be patient. They're trying not to be emotional, which is really smart when you're trading someone as good as Ben Simmons or talking about doing that. But I just can't see how this situation is tenable for much longer. It's just such an obvious distraction. Uh, it's taking away from the team in several respects. Um, and, you know, I'm sure Doc Rivers is sick and tired of talking about it. And I know that the players are sick and tired of talking about it. So it's just, you know, how long is this kind of environment sustainable? I don't know the answer to that, but I can't imagine that, you know, this can last much longer. Yeah, honestly, you know, you mentioned that like everyone kind of seems tired of talking about it. Um, you know, to the players' credit, they've, brush aside all the like loaded questions of is it awkward because you can't say anything about that but you know you've had some guys who just don't really want to talk about it anymore and I think honestly it could be salvageable if Joel and I'm not blaming Joel but if Joel hadn't been as candid and honest about you know this situation when he's been asked about over, over the last few weeks since training camp be training camp camp began or media day um because Joel has just said what's on his mind. Uh, I think I think a lot of the other players who have been asked about it have probably been a little reserved and, you know, trying to do the diplomatic thing. Uh, you know, Joel talked a few weeks ago about how the team's decision-making had been catered around, you know, Ben's flaws. 
um, you know, then today, um, or even, even on you know, media day, a few weeks ago, he had the whole thing about accountability and, you know, trying to get better, figure out ways to progress toward a championship, which he made clear not to single out Ben, but you know, the undertones are there, right? I mean, Joel's a guy who's right. gotten every year, even Tobias, despite his playoff struggles as a guy who's gotten considerably better over the over his career. Um, and then, you know, today when Joel was asked about it, he was basically just like, I don't care, man. Like he does what he wants. I'm not here to babysit. Um, and then this is me paraphrasing in some respects, but generally that's what he said. He used the word babysit. He talked about not caring about what that guy does. He talked about Ben saying he does what he wants. Um, and, and so I just don't know how salvageable this situation is because that's your two best players. It'd be one thing if it was, you know, a role player or an end of the bench guy. I mean, those guys wouldn't say it because, you know, they, they their job is a little more, you know, in, in flux, I would say, than, than Joel. Um but that's how I like if Joel had just come out and said, you know, we like him back, you know, and been very, uh, I don't want to say diplomatic again, but like very reserved about his thoughts and kept those internal. Then I, and again, I'm not blaming Joel, but I think I could see a, ca- a case where, you know, they, they kind of fake it for a few months until something happens. Um, but I just don't know how it works anymore. I mean, Ben and Joel are so key to what they do defensively. Um, despite Ben's flaws offensively, he still does help in certain ways. I don't know if he helps Joel a ton, but he still helps the offense. But I, I don't know where they I don't know where they go from here. Like, is the situation where they just, you know, the Sixers just have to pony up and say we'll pay your salary and you can you go back in L.A. Like, is that I mean beyond like if you're not if they're not going to trade him right because because every report that's come out recently is it said that like they're not going to trade him unless it's for a star level player and there is not one of those guys available. The Bulls are encouraged by what they've done. Levine's not available. The Blazers, you know, despite maybe an underwhelming offseason, still made some moves, traded for Larry Nance, you know, hired a new coach. Um, so there's some optimism there. The Wizards, you know, they retooled their team too. So uh, is that the, is that the only solution short of a short of a trade that doesn't really seem like something Daryl Moore and company want to do? I think it might be, which is pretty scary. Uh, just you know, thinking about the health of the franchise, it's a really bad spot that they're in right now. And- yeah, I think, and I think for a while they were the ones that had the leverage, and I still do think I have to have the leverage in some respects. But it's becoming a little less that way because. Initially, it was just like, hey, th- these things don't matter. Like, these games don't matter. You know, this practice, it's, it's, it'd be great if he was here. But, like, you want to be in L.A., like, you don't want to make your money, that's fine. But now it's like we're a day out from the first game. You know, our, our second-best player just was asked to leave practice because he refused to participate. Like, now it's the sort of thing where it impacts your win-loss, right? Like, it's easy to deal in hypotheticals and say, yeah, we believe in Joel, we believe in Tobias, we believe in Max taking a jump, we believe in the guys we've signed in the offseason – um, and whatnot, but it becomes tougher when Ben shows up and, you know, is not engaging in practice. And, and I'm not, I'm not defending what Ben's doing, but Ben is trying to do what gets him out of the situation. He doesn't want to be in. Right. So like, I get, I get that side of it too, but for the Sixers, it becomes harder when you're dealing in actual act like reality rather than just hypotheticals. So, um, I mean, that's the only, that's the only solution I see, but, I, and you mentioned the trade, like, I just, I mean, all the reports have come out have been so steadfast that Daryl's not going to take a picks heavy trade or he's not going to, you know, get, get, you know, a couple of guys that maybe are, um, you know, maybe fit a little better offensively. Um, you know, the big one that people like is the Brogdon center trade. Now that can't happen because Brogdon signed an extension on Monday. So I, I don't, I don't know. Is it San Antonio? Like, is it Minnesota? Like, I, I don't, I mean, I just can't see D'Angelo Russell despite how, untenable the situation i just cannot see danzel russell being the centerpiece of a daryl Morey, you know led discussion right because he doesn't get the free throw line doesn't get to the rim he's a good passer good shooter but he just doesn't really fit what daryl prioritizes in guys um and so i, I don't know like what where if you had to if you had to you know 
project and i guess you know we have it's been so tough to predict sometimes but like where do you land in terms of what you think is more likely does do they pay him to just you know stay away from the team and roll with what they have until they can find the trade that suits them or do they do they kind of you know relinquish some of their perceived leverage and you know trade him for a package that they didn't really want to maybe three months ago or even two weeks ago i think it's probably the former i think especially with someone like daryl Morey, who is known to be you know extremely patient when it comes to these types of things, um, you know, as far as what they can get for him, you know, you would imagine certainly that that asking price is going to have to go down soon as they continue to lose leverage. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I already said it before, but it's just such a difficult spot because it's really a situation that's impossible to read. Uh, and, you know, never in Ben Simmons prime will his value in a trade be lower than it is right now. And yet they still probably have to move him at some point soon. Um, but I just can't imagine after the events from earlier today, I can't imagine that he's just back with the team on Friday and playing and they act as if everything is normal, which is kind of what I expected for a while, that they would just kind of pretend things were okay. They would try to keep it manageable until they find a trade. But now I don't think even that is realistic, which is pretty scary. And I think, you know, in, we should mention that, I mean, if you didn't hear already, like Ben did just get asked to leave practice. He is suspended for the, for tomorrow's season opener. I think I might've said that, but I want to make sure um, at least in that sense that like if Ben was able, because I know he, his status is already up in the air, just given on what Doc had said, like getting his way back into game shape. Um, but now like because they're open the season on the road, they had maybe a one game buffer. Now Ben's debut could conceivably be, back in front of home fans after his very poor game seven, after everything that's unfolded the last four months, like against the Brooklyn one game, I'm not saying teams. one game changes everything, but like, at least you have one game to like kind of figure things out on the court and kind of see where Ben's at. Now it's like, okay, we're throwing into the fire and not, it's not like they're playing the Cavs or the magic or the thunder. They're playing the Brooklyn nets, the team that despite Kyrie Irving's absence um, for his own, for his ridiculous reasons, um, is still like, I think they're still the odds on favorite. They're still a team that you would pick among the top three to win the title this year, most likely like that, that I just don't know how that works. Really. I I don't know how you just pretend, okay, our season, our our home opener against the Brooklyn Nets, a team that like, you know, the Nets and the Sixers were atop the East all regular season last year, basically. Like, and I mean, like Ben's, whenever he does, whenever Ben returns to Philly, whether it's as a Sixer or on a different team, his reception is not going to be kind. So now you have you add in today's stuff where there's not even a chance to get him on the court for a game. And, you know, and I, and I know like it, I know it wouldn't change fans opinions all of a sudden, but like, you know, maybe, maybe it eases the reception a little bit if Ben comes out and has 18, 11, 10 and two steals on, on nine of 13 shooting uh, and they win by 15. Like, I'm not saying that changed everything, but like, it's a little, little bit easier if you squint than it is after everything. And now it's like, okay, Ben come back uh, in front of everyone. And now we have to beat the nets. So I mean, and my other thing too is about maybe like the team continuing to pay his salary while he stays away is like, I don't, I don't trust Josh Harris and in, in that ownership to just pay a guy to do nothing. Like, I mean, billionaires are cheap and greedy and I, I just don't like, I don't know, like, I, because I mean, Harris is definitely like the, he's, and they, they've been willing to pay some, you know, Tobias and, and Joel and whatnot. But like, I, I just don't see that being the case. I just think he prioritizes like, you know, he and his, the wealth of his businesses, because, you know, as, as, as much of a bummer as it is involving humans, the NBA and teams are businesses. And so I don't, like, I, I don't know, I guess. So I lean kind of toward a trade, 
but the, it just seems like these two guys, Maury and Harris kind of run counterintuitive, right? Like Harris wants all his money uh, and Maury wants to maximize a title and Harris can say that, but I don't know if his, his actions have always been reflected, you know, since he took over as, you know, as the primary owner. So I don't know, like how, where do, where does that sort of calculus fall in for you? Because I think that's an important case. I, I don't disagree necessarily with what you're saying, but I think it's a little tougher to advocate because Harris isn't an owner that has always been willing to spend every single dollar to make this team, you know, the best it can be. Yeah. I mean, that is a great point that I hadn't necessarily thought of. Um, I just think this whole, I mean, obviously this whole situation is just disastrous at this point, regardless. <laughs> it's unprecedented uh, really. But, like it just really, yeah, is. I mean, a guy this good I, holding out with four years left on the field. Yeah. This has become something much bigger than the Jimmy Butler situation. Or even the James Harden. Or even, Harden even the James left, Harden. Right? Like, I mean, right. And I mean, Ben's obviously a much lesser caliber of player, but, um, and that, and that plays in too, right? Like, like Ben and, or not Ben, Jimmy and, and Harden could like go in and like, you know, how, how do I put this delicately? Like not commit themselves to the degree they had previously and, you know, kind of show, and people wouldn't necessarily discount them. I know some people, like people discount Jimmy and Harden a little bit, but like, it's different, right? Because they weren't coming off this total no show in the playoffs. Right. Offensively. So I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy showed up in that practice and beat the starting lineup with the third stringers, you know, and like, as far as we know, yeah, I, I feel like yeah. there has to be some myth making there, but yeah, um, regardless, like the, it's just a quality of player that Ben has not reached. And uh, I think, and I think similarly, like, and, and with that, like those guys were each like the player on the team, right? Like this would be the equivalent of Joel doing it. Whereas like the Wolves and Rockets had to make a move, right? Because Harden, I think he was maybe good for the first couple of games last year, that awesome game against the Blazers to open the year. But then he just started really, really kind of taking plays off. Um, Jimmy was the same way. Jimmy, like, I don't think I've ever seen him play more apathetic defense than those seven or eight games he played with the Wolves. Um, whereas, like, if Ben doesn't play, it's like, okay, we still have our superstar top seven, eight, ten player uh, who's going to lead us to a lot of wins, whereas that wasn't the case with the Wolves and, and Rockets. So, um, yeah, it's just a really, really interesting situation. Anything else you want to add? I feel like we've talked about this, you know, on the pod, whether it's me and you, me individually, me with other guests, uh, a lot. So I don't want to, you know, kind of rehash old points that Hardman brought up, you know, beyond today's news, but anything else you want to add before we, you know, shift to generally non Ben Simmons situations, situation topics I would as much as you can. Just, yeah. Just cause I thought it was a really good point and something I hadn't thought of. I would reiterate your comment about how, Daryl Morey and Josh Harris kind of have opposing incentives here. Yeah. Uh, where Daryl might be just thinking, let's get this guy off the court, keep the distractions away. People hopefully forget about it a little bit. The situation can ease itself. And Josh Harris is probably sitting there saying like, there's no chance I'm going to pay this guy to just sit out. Yeah. Um, which, so, which, which also I'd imagine, you know, it's, and it's not for me to say like, oh, Daryl doesn't care about money. If it were Daryl's money or, Dar- you know, money in Daryl's business, right. he'd probably feel differently as well. Yeah, but, exactly. But uh, yeah, I just would reiterate that those are like very counterproductive uh, incentives that they have going there, uh, which yeah. makes me I, worry even more about, you know, where the organization is going to stand as a whole. Yeah. And I think the last point I want to make, we talked about how circumstances could change on the court for the Sixers. It could also change for potential Ben Simmons suitors, right? Like, you know, um, I mean, we talk about the three teams that maybe have players that Daryl Moore would be interested in right now. Um, but beyond that, like maybe things change for the Wolves or the Raptors or the Pacers. I know, like, I don't really know how the Pacers get there right now, just given, you know, the, the whole Brogdon thing um, or the Spurs, things like that. Like, you know, maybe the situation changed for them. And um, 
Like, I, I think you, you like if you if you are Maury or a Sixers fan, you have to be hoping that the Wizards and Blazers got to slow starts, right? Like you have to be. Yep. That's that's your best bet, right? And so that that would be the situation where I think things could change for the, that benefits the Sixers. But I think, and I admit, like that benefits the Sixers in terms of who they've been reportedly interested in if they're going to move Ben. But there's, but like I said, other suitors, you know, things can change as well. Maybe an injury, maybe they got off to a hot start and they think, okay, Ben's the guy that could really, you know, push us into that, that play in tier, that playoff tier, because for all Ben's faults, he's still going to get, he's still going to be a good enough player that like, if you've got some good talent around him, you can get into that play in that playoff spot. And so um, I think, I think the situation in terms of how, where the NBA is, because I mean, what there's, there's maybe five or six teams right now that enter the, the season without a realistic chance to make the play in. I think that I think that's that kind of helps a little bit where like, you know, if teams get off to a good start, that they maybe Ben becomes more interested in them. Maybe they anticipate, you know, vying for the the eighth pick in the draft, but they get off to a, you know, a seven and two start and they're like, all right, like if we get Ben in a couple of games, um, you trade a couple of young guys in a pick, like we're we're in business. So that's what I would add. But um let's get into some non specifically related to Ben Simmons. Everything's gonna be in that context. We talk about preseason and rotations and all that, but um, Sister played four preseason, game, preseason games, split to split them. Um, couldn't take a ton away from individual players because Terrell, like I said, played you know game a game plus. Tobias played one game. I think Seth played two. He played three. I, mean, I, be- I believe he played two. Um, Danny played two. Maybe I don't recall. Um, but we really, I mean, we really didn't get to see the starters um, beyond maybe that second game, right? Um, so. Yeah. Um, what did you take away from that preseason? How do you try and look at preseason? I think everyone had kind of, not everyone, but there's a, there's a very wide variance in terms of how people interpret, you know, data and film from that. But what did you take away from the Sixers and kind of how do you generally approach the preseason when you look for things as a Sixers writer and analyst? Yeah, um, one of the things I look for initially is just, you know, who's in the rotation, who is on the outskirts of it, who has a chance of breaking in, uh, because every once in a while in the preseason, you will see someone who, you know, nobody considered a real rotation guy all of a sudden, you know, play out of his mind. And all of a sudden on opening night, they may find themselves in the game, which is something that we actually have this year with Isaiah Joe, who, you know, you and I have both long been advocates of, especially you. Um, and he had his moments last year, but I don't think going into training camp, anyone thought that, you know, on October 19th, we would be arguing, you know, aggressively that Joe should be in the rotation. But, you know, now we're here and it's like, I, I almost can't see how you couldn't put him in the rotation with the way that he's played. I mean, obviously, like we know the shooting is there and he was, he shot, I think, like over 50% from three in the preseason or something totally outrageous. 16 of 27 from three. In the, in the right. Like that's just absolutely absurd um, to have, you know, that kind of shooter. And for it to be someone uh, like Joe, who has shown, you know, he's instinctual defensively. He can really play on that end. I know that, you know, from his size, you may assume that he's kind of just like a traffic cone out there, but he could really defend uh, just a solid all around player who provides some really important skills uh, that would really help the Sixers moving forward. So, you know, that that's the first thing I look for in the preseason always is like, is there going to be some surprise guy? Um, and you can probably speak to it better than I can because you've been an Isaiah Joe supporter for a very long time now. Uh, but I think he's done everything he possibly could to tell Doc Rivers that he's a rotation player. And I think especially with Shake Milton apparently being injured and likely not playing 
at least for the first handful of games of the season with, I believe, an ankle injury. Uh, it seems like Isaiah Joe might actually get that chance. Yeah, um, just to confirm, you know, what you mentioned about Shake, he sprained his ankle last week. Um, Doc was asked for an update yesterday at practice on Monday uh, and said he's he didn't scrimmage with them. Um, he's I think that the quote I may be paraphrasing, but um, he's a long ways out from playing again. Um, I don't know what long ways out means. You know, I don't think it means three months, but, you know, it sounds like a multi-week recovery thing at the latest. Like, I don't think we'll see him this month. Um, actually, I feel very confident saying we wouldn't see him this month. I mean, there's only there's only 12 days left. Yeah. Um, so uh, and then in, in conjunction with, you know, with, you know, I don't I don't know, you know, what what the status is for Ben moving forward. I mean, I guess like I said, Wednesday was already up in the air before he was suspended for for the game. Um, you know, I, and this, you know, in today's news, given he was asked to practice, you know, didn't run participate in some drills, like, you know, it doesn't seem like maybe they, maybe they kind of, they just didn't, they don't exactly didn't know what to expect from him. And, and so, um, you know, there's, there's, there's openings in the backcourt, um, you know, even though Ben is 6'10", he plays guard, obviously. So um, at the very least, we will get to see Isaiah Joe in the rotation tomorrow. Um, I'd imagine the bench looks something like, Matisse, Furkan, uh, Isaiah Joe, George Niang, and Andre Drummond. Um, and an update on Matisse, no, he missed the final three preseason games. He was a full participant in Monday's practice for the first time since injuring that shoulder uh, and said he's on track to play Wednesday. So um, that is a good thing for the Sixers and him. Uh, it's, I, didn't know, I didn't know exactly the severity of it, but I was a little surprised to hear that, you know, he's back just given they said he was going to go into rehab for a week, but um, he seems to be doing better. So um doc was optimistic about you know said he only came out of monday's practice when you know when he when they pulled out guys for normal for normal things um so there's that um but yeah i just and i think like the the issue is that like you said i mean isaiah joseph and everything he can and i think he has i mean he was awesome he played rotation minutes he was good in summer league too like when he got to play next to a primary ball handler like like in max you know max only played two games he struggled a little like Joe struggled a little bit more when he was asked to play on the ball more, especially when he had to be guarded by Jaden McDaniels um, in that game against the Wolves. And if you're familiar with Jaden, he's already a very, very good perimeter defender. So um, I just, I just don't know, like, like I, I, I don't know what more Isaiah Joe could do. Um, you know, the shootings there, he's a quick decision maker. I like the two men game and sell a little bit between him and George and Yang a couple of times. Um, both those guys are smart, decisive players. Um, you can run DHOs between the two of them. Um, there was a play, I think, against the Pistons on Friday where uh, Joe took a handoff. I think it was from Niang. It was from somebody running a dribble handoff. Uh, both guys ran at Joe, and he swung the ball. And I think it was Niang. I'm almost positive now thinking about it. Um, and Niang got a wide open three. Niang is a 40-plus percent three-point shooter for his career. Like that, that's the sort of thing you need more of. And that's, what's, that's what you can get with, out of guys who have size, right? They can shoot the ball. Like it's, Seth can do a little bit, but his passing windows are tougher because he's 6'1", 6'2". Um, JJ Reddick could do it when he's here, but that's because JJ Reddick is one of the best off ball shooters ever. Um, and I think you just have a little more, you know, just easier to create passes and open those passing windows when you have size like Joe, um, who's about six, five and she, you know, he measured kind of, I think six, three and a half or something without shoes, but, um, so that helps there. The defense. Yeah. I mean, he can play at the point of attack. He had a couple of nice rotations of pick and roll defender in on Friday as well. So I just like, I don't know what more he could do. Like he just feels like a better bet to maximize his role than shake um, because doc continues to play shake as an on ball guy. And that's just not his role. And so that's like, I can see shake maybe being a little better at the off ball role than Joe in certain respects, but that's not what doc plays him as. And it's a service to shake in the team 
But if that's the way things are going to go, I just don't see a case for shaking the rotation over Isaiah, even if I feel very confident that will be the case when Sheik returns. Yeah, I, to- I, I totally agree with you on all fronts there. I think that uh, Sheik should be moved to a more off-ball role as a, maybe a secondary creator rather than, you know, a pure point guard. Um, I think, you know, Doc has compared him to Lou Williams before. And as much as I love Lou Williams, I, I just don't think that is an apt comparison. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, I, Isaiah's done everything he can to be a rotation guy. Um, Doc does like Shake a lot. So it, like you said, it wouldn't surprise me if Shake ends up being in the rotation uh, whenever he comes back from his injury, especially if Joe isn't particularly impressive early on in the regular season. But honestly, I think he just might actually be too impressive at this point to ever give up minutes. And, you know, with young players, especially with a coach like Doc, like anything can happen. So, you know, famous last words, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to come down to if he if he shoots the ball well, right? Like, I mean, that's just, you know, he shot. Of course, he looked great in preseason, not just because the ball went on the hoop, but it, it helps to hit 59% of your 27 threes across four games. Um, I also thought, you know, he also drew a few fouls. Like, I think he had, he took uh, 35 shots and had 10 free throws. Like, that's a .350 free throw. I know I'm not going to be like, that's a small sample, of course, but like 10 free throws for a guy like Isaiah Joe, who's historically been kind of uh, struggled to do anything as an interior player offensively. Uh, that's good. Uh, I mean, he only took eight shots inside the arc, but it was five of eight, too, which is good. Again, this is a guy who I think he shot like worse on twos last year than he did on threes. He shot like 33% on threes la- or twos last year. And that sounds right. Yeah, and like 37% from three. Um, I don't think he took more than 40 shots inside the arc if I may be off base, but um, it, it paled a comparison. I think he had like, a, like more than 70% of his shots were threes, but you definitely saw some growth in the interior. A couple of nice floaters, which I really liked. I think that's going to be an important shot for him because, you know, as, as much as he's physical on both ends, like you just can't really be a consistent finisher at that frame. And he's not some explosive leaper either. So I think the floater would be a nice thing for him to add. Had really nice chemistry with Andre Drummond too, which I think helps. Yes. Um, they're going to play yeah. bench heavy lineups, you know, for, for worse. I'm not even going to say better for worse. Um, and I think that that's something you, like, they really seem to go to those side pick and rolls with, with Andre and, and Isaiah or DHO is on one of the wings. And um, I think in that final game against the Pistons, I think Isaiah had three assists and all of them were to drum in two in the first half. Um, one was like a nice pocket pass in the second half, I think. So um, they had some good chemistry and he kind of, you know, unless you have anything else to add about Isaiah, just shifting to like Drummond. I, I mean, like, I think you and I were generally more optimistic about Drummond. I think he gets a bad rap for a multitude of reasons. Um, but I was impressed by him in preseason. Um, I really liked what he did. Um, he had the plays where it's like, all right, Andre, let's, let's relax a little bit. Right. Yeah. Those are going to be there all the time. Um, it's just the way it is. But I, I really like the way he played. I think he provided a really nice, you know, he's not a good finisher, but he can get up off the ground. He's a good lob threat. Like I wouldn't say he's an effective lob threat, but he's quick off the ground. Um, that helps. I like the way they use him in pick and rolls, the passings there. So what did you see from Andre? Maybe not so much in the results, more of the process and kind of how you think he can be used as a, as a bench big. Yeah. So I wrote about this, I believe after the Brooklyn preseason game, Um, it's pretty clear that Drummond has developed some chemistry with some of these bench wings. You mentioned it with Isaiah Joe. I think he had some nice two man actions with Furk on Korkmaz as well. Some DHOs, some, you know, kind of impromptu pick and rolls at the end of the shot clock. Um, you know, obviously with Drummond, the most important thing is going to be, can he protect the rim? Can he defend? Can he rebound, et cetera? This, you know, all the stuff that he's known for doing. Uh, but the Sixers haven't had 
you know, I guess unless you want to count Al Horford, which I guess you can, they haven't really had a backup center with any sort of offensive utility uh, in a while. And, you know, really all they had with Dwight Howard last year was the occasional lob threat, which, you know, is great to have, but that was basically the extent of Dwight's utility. And, and um, the late game threes every now and then that Dwight. Yeah, he true. One or two of those last year that he, yeah. he loved, but. Yeah, but those yeah, were always yeah. fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, Drummond showed that he can, you know, legitimately play with these guys uh, and so specifically with Joe and Cork Maz. And I think Niang did a good job as a big with those guys as well, like you mentioned. Um, but as far as Drummond goes, I think he's going to be a pretty clear upgrade from Dwight, which is probably not the hottest take anymore after, after the preseason. Uh, but I do think it's like not going to be particularly close. Um, I think Drummond is just better at this, at this stage of their careers. Um, but yeah, I mean, him having a rapport with, with guys like Joe and Korkmaz is a pretty big deal. And especially if he can then develop it with someone like Seth Curry, who obviously is even more lethal in those actions, uh, it's an interesting layer to the offense that I didn't expect them to have at least so early on. Uh, so it's cool to see them kind of developing that chemistry. Yeah. I think he's, he's the most cost-effective backup center they've had during Joel's. Uh, I think that's a good way to put it. Joel's tenure. Um, because even though, even though Al Horford was a backup, he also started most of the games. I do recall at one point he might've gotten benched for shake. Yeah. He got benched. He got benched for shake. Uh, I think starting with the Clippers game right before the All-Star break, if and I recall. Here we are talking about Shake uh, needing to be uh, yeah. by, a, by a second year uh, wing, um, which is, again, which is more a testament to how Doc sees Shake as a player and less about Shake, I think. Um, but yeah, I was, I mean, again, I, I think we were both on this, you know, and I, I mean, if people think I'm like, you know, just talking out and like, just trying to like, be a uh, revisionist or you can listen to any podcast I talked about Drummond once I signed him I, I was on the on the record saying I thought he was a very good upgrade from from Dwight on a you know permanent basis um, but I liked the offensive utility I think the thing I think you saw more of was they love you know when Joel's in there they love having Joel either dribble the ball up the floor or get catching the ball at the top of the key and going into a delay action or Chicago or your dribble handoff on the wings and they did the same thing with Drummond a lot and there were times where Drummond you know, maybe try to be too overzealous in a backdoor cut or things like that. But that's a lot more continuity than you saw with Dwight because they tried to do it with Dwight, but Dwight just couldn't do it because he set an illegal screen or he put the ball, he'd send the ball for a handoff way too early, or he'd try, he'd try and attack himself on a dribble handoff, um, you know, or a fake THO, I should say. Um, Drummond does those things too, but I think he doesn't, he's more effective when he tries to do it, even if there's some, some gaffes that look bad. Um, and he's more effective when he's asked to play within himself too. So, um, I love the continuity there you can have. Obviously, he's not going to be the post-up threat of Joel. Um, we saw a little bit too much under Drummond offensive hub. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't say too much. It was enjoyable from a preseason perspective. It was fun to watch that experience. But um, I hope they limit his post-up touches um, because I don't have the numbers and I could look at, I could pull up synergy. I'm not going to do that. But I think the, probably, the results probably look better because the, the Sixers played four small teams or three small teams, I should say. Um, the Raptors are undersized. The Nets are undersized. Um, and the Pistons are on their side as well. It's all the center position, I should say. So, um, you know, I, I, I am gonna, I'm going to do this. I'm going to look up Andre Drummond's synergy post-up numbers from the preseason. But anecdotally, I will say that I thought it looked better results-wise than probably historically, just because they're playing teams with a bunch of small centers. So um, don't want to see that. But I like the DHO. I like the pick and rolls. Um, the chemistry is really nice to see. I mean, Doc had raved a lot about the, the, the second unit during training camp. 
Of course, he also wrote about Shake, who didn't have a great he was I thought he was very poor in the first game and then better in the second game, but I didn't leave I didn't his preseason tenure didn't end with me saying this is a much, much better player than we saw last year. So um point being is, you know, there was some coach speak, but clearly there was some credence to Doc praising the the second unit during training camp. Um so I like that. Um I think he's really gonna help in that regard. Again, there are gonna be games and stretches where he makes you want to pull your hair out as a fan because because he does he gets a little overzealous, but um I do think he's gonna be a huge upgrade in general. Um, at least I guess from a permanent basis. Again, I want to stress that he's a backup center who on a team whose best player is a center. Um, but I think you can feel a lot more confident with him starting games whenever Joel sits out, whether it's for rest or if he's a little banged up, um, which you just kind of have to press into your projection for the Sixers. But um, anyone else you want to mention from, from the preseason? Like, I think we should probably talk about Maxi. Um, we even talk about Niang, but kind of who else stood out to you? What else stood out to you about, about these preseason games? Yeah, I mean, Maxi being just like so much fun offensively is always is always neat and worth a mention. I did I did want to bring up Niang, um, and I think you tweeted. If I can't something interrupt about, you. I, I have yes, to please say, do. I, I looked up the preseason post up stats. Um, they were incredible. He ranked in the hundredth percentile on points per possession. He had thirteen possessions, generated twenty points out of the post, one point five three eight points per possession. Um, just for reference, that would be one hundred fifty eight. 153.8% offensive, 153.8 uh, offensive rating in the half court. Um, very small sample, but very it fun. Is, yeah. Uh, it's always fun when the eye test and the numbers match up for you. But anyhow, let's continue with Max. I just want to get them in there to praise Andre Drummond for his, his post prowess in the preseason. Say that five times fast. Jesus. Yeah. Um, other than, other than Maxi, where I think it's pretty self-explanatory. I did want to bring up Niang briefly. Uh, it was either it might have been you. It was so, somebody smart recently had a tweet about Niang about just like having a shoot like such a respectable shooter like at, like you said earlier forty percent plus with that size is such a significant upgrade from what they had last year. Which you know that roster spot was Mike Scott, who you know all love in the world to Mike Scott, but was he was basically unplayable last year. The shot wasn't falling, and he doesn't really do anything else well at an NBA level. Um, so I think, you know, the, the Sixers have talked a lot about Niang as like, ooh, he's our sneaky pickup. And enough people have called it sneaky that it's not sneaky anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but just a good I still th- okay. You don't you, we don't have to undersell. Right. Him. We we I know, Doc. Doc. We get it. The guy the guy can play. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah, yeah. We're, we're talking about Doctor. I mean, God, the number of times you was sneaky, it was like yeah, Bro, it's talking, no longer sneaky, about, man. Talking about every practice at this point, like yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like in foot, it's like in football where like every person has the same dark horse team, <laughs> or every, every then, white quarterback who scrambles for eight yards one time is sneaky athletic. Yeah, you, exactly. You, you say exactly. it now, but it's no longer sneaky. But anyhow, let's let's continue to talk about Niang. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, like so it's it's very simple to just say like, oh, they got a they got a huge upgrade as far as shooting goes at the backup four spot. Um, Remains to be seen if Niang is an option as a small ball five. Uh, they tried it a few times in the preseason. I remain skeptical. Yeah. Uh, but even even if that doesn't work out, which I'm, I don't think they're counting on it to, which is good. Um, he's just like a really solid rotation guy. Um, to have someone with size and that shooting ability uh, and a very quick release, he is not, like you said, he and Joe are both very decisive players. You're not going to, run into them passing up open looks or um, even, or even semi-contested ones. Like they, they both yeah. recognize that a semi-contested three in rhythm is a better shot than stepping inside the arc for a 21 footer. Like even if you're a little bit open, like 
It just, you, you get one totally. and a half times as many points when you take a three. So uh, totally. Yep. Yeah. They both are, they both are decisive, which is huge. And it adds, you know, like more of those kinds of guys than the Sixers have had in a long time. Uh, really since, you know, they had Redick and Marco Bellinelli. Uh, and if you even wanted to count like Ursan Ilyasova there, which I wouldn't quite do, though I do love Ursan. Um, Ursan, but, yeah. I say, I love, love their charges. That's, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I think Niang is going to be helpful, even though it's no longer sneaky that he's going to be helpful. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think, you know, what stood out to me beyond the things you mentioned uh, is I, I thought he was a smart off-ball mover as well. Like he had a couple of plays where he would like he wasn't quite set to shoot, so he would kind of load up and run into the run into the pass. I think he had a play. It was one of the it might have been the first or second game of preseason where like he was kind of well beyond the arc and the pass swung his way and he kind of was ready to attack off the catch and uh and ran inside and had a lob or a laid on pass to Drummond or someone for a bucket. So um he's just a very like the Sixers need more connective players, and I think exactly. that's what Niang classified as whether it's finishing a play as a spot-up shooter whether it's you know facilitating a dho whether it's you know attacking off the catch and making a decent read i'm not saying he's going to be like this incredible guy off attacking off the catch um he has you know i think one of his biggest deficiencies is it's just kind of that lack of quick twitch that that he took he's a fairly slow player um which comes up in on-ball defense sometimes he misses rotations because he's just too slow to get there um, but, but it's a useful thing to have. They just need more smart off-ball players. And I think that's why Isaiah Joe deserves to be in the rotation. That's why I think George Niang is going to be a nice, you know, a nice pickup. You mentioned not really having a, I mean, they didn't have a playable four last year off the bench. Um, they, they would roll with Matisse at times. Uh, they were so small. I mean, what, what was their most frequent bench lineup? It was, it was Shake, Furcon, Matisse, um, Max here, George Hill, and then Dwight Howard. I mean, you're so right. small and you're thin there too. Like Matisse, Matisse can, I mean, you saw that Matisse has that really awesome game late in the regular season when he, when he gave Daniel Gallinari problems, but he's still slight of frame. I'm not saying the Yang is like one of the strongest backup first in the NBA, but he's a legit sized four. So I think that helps a lot. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what he can do in the regular season. I think there are going to be times where the shot's not falling and, uh, and maybe he's a little slow on some rotations and they have him isolated on the perimeter too much. But um, the other thing I did want to mention that came up that I forgot to, to include about Drummond is I liked that the coaching staff realizes what he's good at defensively and pick and roll cover. I thought they really empowered to be aggressive. Um, we mentioned kind of rim protection. That's not really his thing. Like you want him to be able to force turnovers before the ball gets all the way to the rim. And I thought they did a good job of letting Drummond be that guy. Um, you don't want him sitting back in deep drop, like in a way you do Joel as much. Um, or even you wanted Dwight to do it like you wanted Dwight to be in, in deep drops. So I liked that a lot. I think even Matisse mentioned that about Andre that like they're letting him play a little more aggressive. Uh, and that's something that I've talked about a lot. Andre's going to force turnovers. I think he averages like about a steal plus in a block per game for his career. Um, there's going to be some bench heavy lineups. And as we saw last year, the bench offense is going to be a, a struggle at times. And so if you can get more transition opportunities because Drummond is swiping the ball from defenders and Matisse is doing his thing, and you're getting your transition frequency is 35%, which is ridiculously high, rather than 20%. Like that helps in those 10, 12 minutes you're playing a lot of bench guys. So I liked that a lot. Um, the other thing I, I also kind of generally speaking, and I, the Sixers three point rate wasn't a ton higher than last year. But again, I'm not taking a ton out of that because they were playing a lot of guys who won't be in the rotation for long stretches. And when you don't have guys who can bend the defense, you're going to settle for tougher shots. Um, I thought there was a much more concerted effort to take threes not just from the guys, but from the offense itself. I thought there were more flare screens. There were more pin-ins in the corner. Um, 
they even ran double drag more this this year. And if you're familiar with double drag, is it just means it's an early offense set where you have two men, you have a staggered screen, one guy rolls the basket, another guy pops, and you have a ball handler. Um, they ran more of that, I think, especially in the last couple of games. Um, I think Furcon did some things there, but uh, I just I just liked the general offensive upgrades this year. I, like I I wrote a pretty critical piece of Doc's offense at Liberty Ballers a few weeks ago. Um, but I was encouraged by what we saw schematically and kind of shot profile wise. I think, you know, Doc's always talking about like his counter to taking more threes is like get more layups, but the Sixers just aren't a team that gets a lot of layups because they don't have a great dribble drive creator. So the counter has to be to take more threes. And I thought there was a really good kind of collective effort schematically and from the players themselves led by um, Seth, uh, Danny, George, and Isaiah, um, which again is another reason that, Isaiah needs to be in the rotation. I think you know, Shake is yep. that guy. Like we can talk about Shake being better in off-ball role, but Shake is still prone to the ball swings his way, and he shot fakes and does something else. And Shake is a great spot-up guy. I think he's about over forty percent last couple of years from three um, on spot-ups. He was his his volume really tanked. His percentage really tanked last year because he was poor as a pull-up guy. But um, kind of a tangent there, kind of a long-winded ramble. But I just want to mention that it was the that was the process thing you know, independent of one specific player that I really thought was a good, a good development for the Sixers in the preseason. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would echo a lot of what you just said, by the way, Drummond for his career averages 1.4 steals per game, uh, which, you know, obviously steals per game is not the end all be all of statistics in the NBA, but that's a pretty remarkable number for a center. Yeah. I mean, um, he has great hands. I mean, he really does. It's yep. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would, I would again echo like, they need more decisive guys on this team. Um, and, you know, that's another reason why Joe should be playing. Like you said, um, that's why Niang is going to be so helpful. It's why Curry and Danny Green have been so helpful since they got here. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to to hammer that home because I think it's pretty important that they get more threes up this year. Uh, Doc Rivers loves to say, you know, especially when talking about Ben, he'll be like, you know, I don't care how we score the points. I just want to score the points. And it's like, well, those aren't really kind of, I, I always say like, that's like, yeah, well, like that doesn't entirely make sense. Doc. So uh, <laughs> maybe you think it sounds really insightful, but it, it's, they're related. Yeah. They really, they really, how you right. score points influences how often you score points. So exactly. Really want Doc, but I, I'm not going to buy that. Um, which yeah. is that's what I said. That was the exact quote I referenced. Uh, I don't know if I, I, I paraphrased it, but I was like, in my article, I was like, that doesn't make that a doctor or not. It's not either or, but right. Um, you mentioned kind of the decisiveness. And I think, you know, people for a while, I think maybe outside the team or people who maybe just observe this team casually um, talk about the Sixers need more shooting and, and all that. And they still harp on it. And that's not the case anymore. Like they have so much shooting outside of, I mean, outside of Ben. And I mean, maybe outside of Tyrese and Matisse, um, and Drummond, which I guess is kind of a lot of guys, but you know, like they've, but supplementing them is they have a lot of high level guys, but the issue has been, you can't necessarily create a lot of threes if you don't have a, you know, a great perimeter creator and a bunch of really heady half court passers, which I think is the bigger, like the Sixers are one of the worst passing teams among playoff squads. They're one of the, they're below average passing team in general across the entire NBA, but especially within you know in a playoff caliber context they rank fairly low there i would say i haven't mapped it out but um that's a bigger thing that you know like the the coaching staff needs needs to has needed to emphasize taking more threes whether it's telling guys to get them up or drawing up plays to produce those but they're also limited because they don't have a lot of guys who can get into the lane off the bounce and create those shots like you know maxi's a guy who can get out in the lane off the bounce but passing is still a pretty big 
know, area of growth for him, right? Like him, him balancing driving, him balancing his tendency as a driver between shooting and passing, something he really needs to continue to refine. So um, I think a guy like Joe, who can, who can capitalize off his gravity to create more threes and Yang can kind of attack a closeout and can set screens for guys really does help because people have to respect Yang as a screener um, and things like that. So, which is not a phrase I thought I would be saying on this podcast today. Nas respecting the Yang as a screener. Um, what I mean by that is when he flares out off the screen, people have to at least consider him. Whereas if it's Dwight or Matisse or Ben, like you don't care. Like if, if he's, I mean, Ben's usually going to roll, of course, but or cut whatever you want to call it. But Yang, so I think that helps a lot too. I mean, they're still I'm not saying those guys are going to cure everything, but um, you saw some of the the impact they can have as decisive players who know how to be play linkers. So. Um, that wasn't, that was encouraging for sure. That I, and so um, I, I really am curious to see what this offense looks like, um, you know, all year. I mean, that, you know, that was the biggest downfall for them. Um, they had a pretty pedestrian offense the regular season and a downright dreadful offense against the Hawks. Um, I think they're going to be fine defensively, honestly. Like, you know, I, I really do. I, I trust you all to hold things down. Dan Burke is a fantastic defensive coach, um, routinely helped put together great defenses and they're good defense in Indiana. He coached under Frank Vogel for a little while, and Frank Vogel is a phenomenal defensive coach in his own right. Um, you saw what Frank did last year with the Pacers, with the, yeah. six, the Lakers, excuse me, despite you know, and he, worked on uh, worked under Nate McMillan as well. Yeah, it was also you know has pretty good reputation as a defensive coach. So um, I trust that, but I really am curious to see where the offense you know lands this year. Um, you know, it's just it's just funny because you know, all the time people who are Ben's big proponents talk about you know producing three, producing threes. So I watched those Sixers games. I don't think they had much trouble producing threes. It, it turns out when you like, yes, like, and that, that is a skill, Ben. I'm not trying to re, I'm not trying to say it's not a skill that Ben has, but like it's it, everyone who talked about that as like some reason he's a good offensive player. Like, I don't know, man, this, the, the offense looked pretty, pretty capable of taking threes and it looked pretty open. Um, they, I mean, that stretch in the Brooklyn game where Joel was dominant as a scorer. You know, I think he had 22 of 30 points before he came out of the game for good in the first quarter. Um, even when he played against the Raptors, they had very little trouble producing threes and it'll be tougher at times. Like they'll, they'll mix up where double teams come against Joel and whatnot. But, um, you know, there are a lot of things Ben does well, but I, I don't think like, oh, he produces threes is some integral reason that, you know, they're going to miss him because I just didn't, I mean, again, I'm not taking too much from preseason, but like, I, I'm, I'm all about process in preseason. I want to see kind of how teams do things. And I thought they, they clearly were fine getting, getting shots up from deep. And it helps when you're the guy who touches the ball a lot. A guy who touches the ball a lot in rotation doesn't take threes. Is no longer in the rotation. Is is you know swapped for you know Furcon or Isaiah gets more minutes turning Yang. So um, not obviously not the direct replacement for Ben, but um, again another little long winded rant. But uh, just kind of some thoughts I had from preseason that have been stewing for a bit since preseason ended four days ago for the Sixers. Yep. Uh, just by the way, while we're still here and and you mentioned Ben, we have a new report from Woj as of a few minutes ago. The 76ers have fined Ben Simmons $1.4 million for his absence from four preseason games, 360000 okay. each. That's, that's, that's something we already kind of knew. Yeah, and levied numerous team fines for mispractices, on-court workouts, and meetings. He hasn't earned any money since returning to the team on October 11. So Fortunately for Ben, I believe will. he got uh, over $8 million earlier in the offseason uh, as the first 25% of his <laughs> yearly salary. So um, he'll be doing okay, it appears. Yeah, Ben, um, Ben, I think, yeah. <laughs> generally, I'd prefer the money in Ben's hands than Josh Harris's hands, of course. Yes, uh, but I think, ben, I think Ben is doing okay financially <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Can we, can we find a way to like, let's, let's redistribute the wealth from neither of their hands and get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sounds good to me, pal. Let's do it. Um, but yeah, um, I think anything else that stood to you from preseason, um, I'm trying to think of anything that really comes to mind for me. Like, what did you, any, like, what did you make of Furcon? Maybe if any, any extensive thoughts you have there, um, anything from Paul Reed, I mean, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a ton else. Yeah. I mean, for, I uh, Furcon, uh, I think is worth talking about. I believe it was the Brooklyn game, right? Yeah. yeah it was oh the Brooklyn game. He was where incredible. He was, he was amazing. And he was sharing the point card duties with Isaiah Joe. Um, and shockingly, they like made it work. Um, Furcon has gotten a lot better offensively really every year of his career. Um, and or better in that Brooklyn way, game, right? like, like maybe he wasn't as good offensively last year as he was in year two or year three, I guess, but he was vastly improved defensively. So right. I think he's grown at least in some capacity. He's, yeah, he is. He has grown in a major way in at least one facet of his game every year is probably the better way to put that. Um, but he was, I mean, making like, like really advanced reads with the ball in his hands in that Brooklyn game, uh, whether it's as a pick and roll ball handler, or just bringing up the ball and initiating offense. Uh, he, he really was excellent. Um, and, and I, like I mentioned before, I just wrote a predictions article at the rights to Ricky Sanchez website. Don't read the first prediction. You can just scroll right past that <laughs> one. Um, and then, uh, one of them that I write is that I think Cork boss is going to be their most helpful bench player this year. And, and I think that's probably going to be considered a bit of a hot take just because of like how exciting Maxi is though. Maxi may now be a starter again. Uh, who knows? And like Thibault obviously is so popular and, and Drummond played so well, like we talked about. Um, but I mean, Korkmaz is like offensive repertoire at this point is pretty wonderful. Um, he's a fun player to watch and he's done a lot of good recently um, and become one of their more reliable players on that end as a whole. Um, so I don't know if you have any uh, particular thoughts on Furcon, but I was really excited with what I saw from him, especially in their Brooklyn game. Yeah, I mean the Brook. I mean he didn't really shoot the ball well in any other game, I don't think. Um, but again, I'm not really worried about results. Like Furkan has a track record right. of being a, a solid shooter. Um, I really do compare him to. I mean, I, I can like I do consider him like a diet diuretic for this team. Like he's nowhere close to the off movement shooter. I mean, again, JJ is just incredible or was incredible since he retired. Now, um, you know, shooting from those weird angles, um, but the decisiveness, the off ball movement, getting a rhythm off dribble handoffs, um, being able to capitalize on your own shooting gravity. Uh, are all things that Reddick brought that Corkmouse brings to generally lesser degrees, but is still important. So, um, and what impressed me most in that Brooklyn game is, you know, obviously that the, the passing was there and he had a few nice passes in other games too. Like he would, he'd like come, I think he'd be on the wing and he would come up to the top of the key, take a handoff from Drummond or someone and two guys would run at him. He would just pretty calmly like laser that pass into a rolling Drummond, which I thought was, again, the Sixers need guys who can capitalize on their gravity to, you know, supplement a lack of a triple drive creator in the half court um or you know mitigate or compensate for i should say um but he was seven of nine on twos in the in that brooklyn game hit a couple of step backs had a nice floater um i I liked that um you know so i don't want him handling the ball a ton i mean the issue is you know people talk about like uh like you know who's gonna handle the ball on the bench like generally speaking on any team unless you just have some incredible bench ball handler i don't really want anyone who isn't good enough to be a starter commandeering my offense um, but I think you'll see Furcon run some stuff this year, especially as long as shakes out, you know, I think we were talking early, early in the early episode, or, you know, maybe before we even started recording, like who the backup point guard is, um, as long as shakes out and Ben isn't playing, like, I mean, I think you'll see some, some handling reps for Furcon from Isaiah Joe, Seth Curry will get minutes. So, 
Um, yeah, I'm excited for Furkan. He's a guy who just gets better every year, as we said. He's still only 24, I think. Um, I believe that's correct. And I think it's really cool because he generally is, generally likes being in Philadelphia now. Um, he's come a long way from, you know, rightfully asking out because he wasn't playing. Like, I totally get that. Um, the most infamous trade demand in Philadelphia sports history. Yeah, yeah, the most pressing one for sure now. Uh, yeah, among the 2016 draftees, right? Is that? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, that, were, uh, that were double digit numbers below uh, 35. Um, but uh, yeah, I, and I think like, you know, and even, and then even talked like in that, in that, in this is um, what was it called? Uh, Exit interview. My goodness. That he, he still asked for trade, but he really seems to embrace Philly. Um, it's been cool. when people have asked him about Ben, like he's been really, really nice about like, he like when Ben came back, uh, when, people, when people talked on Sunday or Monday, he was like, I personally miss Ben. I like playing with him. And he said similar things and before even Ben returned. Like, I, I just think Furcon is a guy who really seems to enjoy himself here and is valued by the organization. Um, you know, I think I've talked about this sort of idea on previous pods from a few months ago, but um, he's just a guy that I've really grown to enjoy covering and watching. And I think he's going to have a nice year. I, I, I don't think I would bet on him being the most impactful bench player, but it's not something that I'm like, oh, like, what are you talking about? Like, Adam, that is totally unfounded. I think there's definitely a chance. So, um, I'm excited. I think, you know, that broken game, you know, stood out, obviously the ball didn't, the ball didn't go through the hoop enough in other games, but as much as he would like, I would, I should say, but you saw some nice things, um, you know, as a passer using his gravity, as I said, and then in that broken game, he had that, he had that nice sequence against Harden where he, you know, I'm not going to say like, oh, he's a defensive stopper now, but it was cool to see. I mean, he, he played good defense yeah. against Harden, helped force a turnover. I think that was the play where like Harden threw a wild pass that like clanged off the backboard or something. I don't recall exactly. Something like that. Yeah. Some, some play where Harden was in preseason mode, clearly, despite, I think Harden kind of lit up the Sixers in that game. Uh, he and KD both did. Yeah, Harden had 21 yeah. 15 shots. So um, there it is. But yeah, I, I like what I saw from Furcon. Um, I would say my thoughts on Maxi. If I, I know you kind of shared yours, I didn't. I didn't see a ton different. Like I think you kind of saw a similar player last year. Um, yeah, nothing really stood out to me. You know, inconsistent defensively, but generally okay. Um, the creativity and versatility as a finisher is clearly there, especially was cooking in the first half of that game against the Pistons. Um, the jumper is still a work in progress. I don't know what he shot from three, but I don't think it was good in the preseason. Small sample, of course, but um, yeah, I don't. I, I don't. I just. I know you talked about Max. I just want you know if anyone's curious, those are listening. Why I didn't really touch on. I just didn't have a lot. I thought he's kind of who he was, and I'm really waiting for the regular season to kind of see what we get from him. And I know who we get, you know, tomorrow and, and game one will be vastly different than who we get April April 11th or whatever. So um, you know, all the reports have generally been, you know. Generally speaking, reports have always been very complimentary of Tyrese. It seemed like he kind of an up and down training camp as he adjusted, but I'm I'm just curious. I'm, it's in wait and see mode. I didn't really see a lot that was different. Where we talked about Isaiah and, and all these new pieces. So um, I think we've hit on a lot of different things. I mean, I don't want to turn this into a full season preview. I feel like you know it's too tough. I mean, six or too tough of a team to really project right now. Honestly, um, I, I mean, I would say like you know without Ben, let's say like I do kind of want to ask at least before. I don't want to get into some huge thing, but if Ben doesn't play and they don't trade him um, kind of where do you deem this team in terms of kind of among the other Eastern conference uh, playoff squads? And then maybe if, if Ben plays, or they get a, a, a suitable trade package that allows them to kind of approximate or heighten Ben's on-court impact. Where do you kind of see them? Uh, I see them really anywhere from like three to six. Wouldn't surprise me. Probably I would guess in the middle within the four or five matchup. This is if, um, this is if Ben is, is out. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the Sixers do still have Joel Embiid, who is the best player on the floor at almost all times and could easily have another MVP caliber season 
you know, that engineer to run to the one seed last year. Also, you know, if Ben is sitting out and Embiid misses 20 games and Tobias Harris takes a step back and like one or two other poor developments take place, all of a sudden I could see them back where they were a couple of years ago when they ended up being the sixth seed and getting swept by Boston, uh, who I don't envision being the three seed again, but you get the idea. Um, it's it's a, a difficult spot, obviously, to try to predict uh, when there's so much unknown. And by the way, we have another Woj report coming in. You're on, you're on top of this. I appreciate it. Sixers approach on a trade has remained steadfast. They won't move Simmons for role players, only a player who will help keep them a championship contender. That hasn't changed. For now, no one should expect a speedy resolution on Simmons' future in Philadelphia. Help so, keep them a championship contender. I'm curious. They've never made it out of the second round. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean. Boy, but, I, but I do. Yeah. But I think that's part of the, the crux of the issue, right? Like, right. They're, not a, they're not a championship contender with Ben, and the goal is to win a title around Joel, and that's obviously what Daryl wants to do when he leads teams. So that's why they're not trading Ben. Like, I mean, right. it's them that's clearly a Sixers source. Yeah. But like, like, I get what they're saying, but it's just funny. Like, sorry, you haven't been, you haven't been a championship contender. Like maybe you were when you had Jimmy and you lost the champs in seven games in the final seconds. But other than that, you haven't had a championship caliber team. Which yeah, I and unfortunately, know. Jimmy Butler, for reasons that we don't have to get into, is long gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but it's not like Jimmy Butler ever became a title contender on his own or anything, though. No, no, he's, 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 uh, he's retired in Miami, <laughs> as I was told. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I think in terms of where I see the Sixers, I'm, I'm probably lower in ter- like without Ben, like for, I mean, for everything I've been critical about with Ben and, and as a player and all that, like he's a good player. He's a star. He's an all, he's a three-time all-star who makes this team a lot better in the regular season. Like, I think I'd probably have them in that middle-class tier with the Celtics, the Bulls and the Knicks, the Pacers if healthy, but the Pacers are already not healthy, unfortunately. So, um, I could see them, like, I think there's a reality where, like they're in the play in this year. Like I don't think that's the most likely reality. I think it's fairly minuscule um, because they do have Joel. Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned like if Tobias takes a step back and Joel misses some time, it's funny because that's kind of where doc historically has been, has done his best coaching performances when these, when like he, he needs to help raise the floor of a team rather than raise their ceiling. Right. So um, I could see like that being a thing where you know, somehow like they, they make, they, they stay afloat. Like Joel misses, seven straight games with a knee injury or a back injury and they go five and two or six and one and beat some good teams. Um, that's not saying I'm going to like necessarily price it in, but like, I think that's part of the reason they did well without you last year. Like I think doc is good at raising the floor of teams, but not very good at raising the ceiling of teams. So I think that kind of works in their favor a little bit. I'm not saying they're better without Joel, but I think maybe more than the average coach and team, you can feel a little bit better about them finding a way to stay afloat. If Joel misses some time um, just because doc, I mean, doc did a good job with a couple of those plucky Clippers teams, and whatnot, but yeah, I think if if they if Ben's around, you know, they'll kind of be in vying for that top three spot. Um, you know, with with the Hawks most likely. I think the Heat are more of a playoff built team because I don't love their depth. Um, I think you know, if Ben's around or Ben adjacent on court impact is around, which doesn't really seem likely given the world report we just we just read, um, they could be as high as one again. Um, because I think I, I think the Milwaukee has learned that they're going to take it easy. Right. Like, I, I don't know like what data point Milwaukee has to see to like realize that like, there's no point in going for it. Like you, you prioritize for the regular postseason and things work out well, you go yep. all in for the regular season and you, you maybe struggle a little bit. So I'm not criticizing the bucks, but I'm just saying like, I think they're probably going to be a little coast a little bit again. I think I talked about another part. I think Giannis is kind of entering that 
LeBron era in the sense that like LeBron really learns to you know prioritize the right of the postseason. I think after Giannis's first championship, he's probably gonna be that same way. But so I would have them any I would have them in that kind of that vying again for a top the top seed if Ben or Ben type impact is out there, but more in that middle class where then maybe right on the fringes of a home court advantage, uh, or maybe right, you know, trying to stave off the plan. Um, I think they're probably closer to the, the high end of that second outcome, but I could still definitely see a world where they're a, they're a seven seed because things don't, don't go properly. A lot of things went right for the Sixers in the regular season last year, um, you know, just in relation to other teams. I know they had some injuries and whatnot, but um, it was it was fairly stable in a way that most other teams that were really good in the East weren't. So um, that's my stance. Anything else you want to hit on, Adam, before we before we wrap this up? Because I thought this was a really good kind of summary of preseason, everything that's gone on with the Sixers the last few weeks. Um, appreciate everyone listening. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I will be back on the regular podcast grind um, this week. This will be the start of it. So, um, but Adam, anything you want to add before we uh, we part ways for the uh, no, I think afternoon. <laughs> yeah, depending on your time zone. Uh, right. No, I think I think we hit on on everything that I had in mind. Really, all the stuff that I highlighted during the preseason. I think we we did a good job of getting to. Yeah, uh, Adam, I appreciate you coming on. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Um, Adam, I might have some fun news coming up. Uh, can't get into details, but might have some fun stuff. Uh, emphasis on the might um, regarding the podcast, but um, yeah, it'll, I'm sure it'll be regardless of what happens there. I'm sure you'll be on again soon um give yourself a little shout where can they find your work uh where's where should they find adam aronson's content yeah uh sixers adam on twitter easy to remember i'm bad at coming up with names for things so it's easy uh writes to ricky sanchez.com is where my writing is i'll have some columns about the sixers and then a bunch of game recap type you know like pros and cons type of takeaways from the games um sports radio 94 wip uh, which is on the Odyssey app and radio.com. I, I think I'm getting all this right, but <laughs> this is this is the first time I've like plugged something and so on that I don't even know if I'm doing it right anymore. But uh, Sixers Adam on Twitter, writes to rickysanchez.com. That's where you can find most of my content. Right on. Uh, and yeah, I am bad at naming things as well because the lovely creative team at Blue Wire gave me this, this uh, podcast name. Yeah, I'm jealous. Yeah. Uh, you can find my work at Liberty Ballers. My Sixers content will be uh, here at po- here in podcast form and written form at Liberty Ballers. Um, I'm going to be doing a lot of stuff there this year, so I'm excited for that. Um, but appreciate everyone for listening. I hope this is a good first episode back, a good primer for the year, fair and measured. Um, if you have any comments, criticisms, feedback, um, you know, hit me on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF. You want to email me? My email is in the bio there. Um, I ask that you just be respectful, of course, but uh, I know most of my listeners are, or all of my listeners are, I should say. Um, but I'll be back. Uh, soon. I don't know exactly when, but sometime later this week to talk about actual Sixers meaningful basketball with or without Ben Simmons. Um, But in the meantime, stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. I will talk to all of you again soon.